Hello, and welcome to Paradox, untold stories from athletic directors with Dr. Danielle LaPointe and Dr. Dustin Smith. We have some crazy and unique stories for you, which are made possible by our sponsor, Wall of Fame. At the Wall of Fame, our mission is to bring your school's legacy to life. We transform school tributes to make it easier than ever to celebrate your whole community, showcasing your school's diverse history, proudest moments, and top role models. We understand that the true value of our Wall of Fame is in your content. Whether you are starting a new tribute or adding to an existing one, we give you all the resources you need to build an interactive experience and take your content to the next level. Speaking of next level, let's check in to see what Danielle and Dustin have for us today. Hello, we're back in another episode. Um, this week we have Troy Erdahl. How are you doing today, Troy? I'm fantastic. Really good. Thanks for having me on. Hey, let's yeah. get this straight. Dr. Troy Erdahl. Oh, I apologize. Dr. <laughs> Troy Erdahl. I never use the title, but thank you. <laughs> I should know better, right? We should know better. I should know better. I deeply apologize for that. So Dr. Troy Erdahl is with us today, um, recording on his, you know, kids are off holiday, maybe. Um, of course, he's at school, though, because that's the way that goes. But really excited to have you here today. Um, Dustin, thank you for correcting me. But how are you doing today? And I'm living the dream, as I always say, and mm -hmm. I've been excited for this episode since, man, Troy and I met in person um, back in December. We were in Orlando and uh, just happened to be, I mean, I've seen his name a few times, but he was in the NIAAU cohort and the incoming cohort. He's experiencing that. Um, he's fortunate that he doesn't have uh, me as a mentor, uh, but he's got, um, he's agree. in the class, he's in that <laughs> cohort and going through that. <laughs> But there's a lot of sides to to Troy that we'll we'll uncover a little bit. We we talk about being AD, obviously that's why we're on on this podcast. But he's also the head baseball coach. He's also an author. He's also I mean, let's go on down the line. A lot of things that Troy does. Um, and and I want to talk about the book for just a little bit, Troy, because you sent me a copy of that, and I'm I'm knee deep in reading that book. Um, it's called Chasing Influence. Um, and and a mentor, I guess I could call him a mentor. Joe Ehrman's a mentor of Troy. Um, and transformational coaching may not mean a lot to you, Danielle, but uh, it's it's a he he's really made a name for himself um, pushing that platform of transformational coaching. Uh, and Troy kind of falls in that vein. And I don't want to call him a disciple of Joe, but I think that's probably an accurate statement. Would you agree, Troy? Oh, without question, Joe is one of the greatest mentors a person could ever have, and I'm lucky to be associated with him. Well, let's talk about the book a little bit, just because uh, I told you we would. Um, Chasing Influence is the title of the book, um, and, and you're obviously the author, and you got Joe to write a foreword of it. Um, so explain to us a little bit about the book, kind of a nutshell, and what kind of went behind the process, behind the scenes of writing that thing. Yeah, it's it's a book that anyone who wants to positively influence the life of another person, that's the target audience. And, and so if you're about having a positive influence on others or self, uh, it's, it's stories of leadership, coaching, and teamwork. And I took stories from my own life, from some of those wonderful mentors and coaches that I've worked with for the last several decades, um, and, and fused it all into um, a narrative nonfiction story. 
that really is intended to help nudge this world, especially through sports, into a better direction. And that's really my leadership purpose is, is all about using the power of school activities to make the world a better place. And I was lucky enough to get to put to on, on paper. Um, funny enough, it all started in 2022 when I got stuck in Mexico with, with COVID. And I took advantage of the opportunity to take that week where I was in isolation in a hotel room in, in Mexico uh, to take a bad situation and, and make it better. And so that week I fleshed out the idea for writing a, a book of what it could look like. I spent the next year writing that book. I enjoyed every minute of writing it. Never had writer's block a single day. Uh, every day I got the time to work on it. I enjoyed I enjoyed the time where I was able to work on it. Um, and then it spent about a year putting the book together in terms of all the editing and all the formatting. And so I'm happy now to be able to share my stories with uh, anyone who's interested. Well, and as, as he said, the book's called Chasing Influence, um, and, and I would recommend it. I'm, I'm about three-fourths of the way through the book. Great book. Um, and again, it's, it's leadership and anybody that wants to positively impact other people. Uh, just a great book, and and I would highly recommend it. I, I do a lot of reading, uh, and I know Troy knows that, so uh, he sent me a copy of that book, and but I can't recommend it enough. Uh, so if you've got a chance, and as AD's listening to this, uh, you need to grab that book, get a copy of it, you can get it on Amazon, you can get it um, an Audible version of it if you want to, um, or if you've got questions, get a hold of one of us, and we can get a hold of Troy and make sure that you get a copy of what that book is. So um, really good book. So, Troy, this is what I want to ask you. I know you talked about the time it took to write the book. The concept was a week. You wear a lot of hats. You're a baseball coach. You're an athletic director. <coughs> Excuse me, you're an author. So let's talk about what do you do outside of those things? Is there any time outside of those things for you? What do you do? Um, what's the resume not tell us about who Troy Erdahl is? Well, I... Um... I love sports and I come from a family of teacher coaches. And so my father was a career teacher coach. My grandfather was a career teacher coach. So I don't know that I know much different than that. It's always been comfortable for me and I love my job. I love my work. Um, and, and so I'm a sports fan. Um, and part of that is chasing around my own four kids. My wife, Rebecca and I have uh, four kids I always used to say little, but they grew up on me. And so now I have a daughter who has just started college and then three boys who are uh, in high school or our youngest is in eighth grade. So he'll be in high school next year. So we, we are at sporting events, whether it's for school for me or one of their events, seven days a week. Um, and I love projects. And, and that's why the book was a, a wonderful project for me because I'm always, whether it's a handyman project, tinkering on something around the house or, or working on something. I think ADs are, we're hardwired to always be moving. And so I have a hard time sitting still and not doing something. And that's both with hands and with, with my mind. And so I got to be active. I got to be doing something. So if it isn't um, somehow involved in a, a sporting event or working on a project, chasing our, our kids around, um, then I'm probably coaching. And I'm lucky that I'm still able to do that. And it's something that's uh, certainly a passion of mine is the opportunity to still coach. I've been a high school baseball coach for over two decades, and I get to coach youth hockey um, five, six days a week as well. And so 
that's where I, I really find my true joy is working with young people in the, in the coaching capacity. And I'm, like I said, fortunate I get to wear multiple hats. And one is an AD where I get to help other people be the best coach that they can be. And then I still get to do it myself. Well, we talk about on this on these episodes a lot to just kind of paint a picture of where you're at geographically for those who may not know. Um, and then I want to talk to you a little bit about the weather and being a baseball coach in that climate. So paint on a map where you're located, and then we'll talk a little bit more about uh, the climate and trying to coach baseball in that environment. I'm in the great white north. I'm right in the middle of Minnesota. And so I grew up in the central part of the state, west central part of Minnesota, more farm country. And then for college, I moved to the big city and I've, I've never left. So Minneapolis, St. Paul and the surrounding area is what I've called home for the last, uh, well, ever since college. Um, and so we're, we live in St. Anthony Village. I, I work at uh, St. Anthony Village High School and it's uh, a first ring suburb of Minneapolis. So just outside of Minneapolis and uh, we've uh, made this community home and we really love it. So you, you can talk about um, baseball in the summertime may not be a bad thing there in Minnesota, but let's talk about, uh, we kind of joked before we started recording that uh, you don't really start until March 11th. Um, and is that practice or is that games that you're going with at that, that early date? Well, if there's a baseball game that ever breaks out in a gym, the Southern states need to watch out for the Minnesota teams because <laughs> our first month is really inside. And depending on what type of facilities you have, in our case, it's a pretty standard competition gym that, that we practice in. And so it's not really until that first or second week of April. I, I, I would say this. The optimists schedule games for the first week of April. Uh, the realists are scheduling their games for the second week of April. And so we really do pride ourselves on fundamentals. And that's why I, I joke, but I'm serious when I say that some northern teams in northern states really need to do and are very good at doing the fundamentals well because you need to break it down to its simplest form when you're in the gym and you don't have as much space or time to um, to have a practice that would look like what you might be doing when you're outside. And so um, we don't know any different. And so that's what we love. Uh, we end up really, really valuing that indoor time. And then we're maybe more appreciative and excited once we do get outside. Well, I hate to just say this, but um, it's February nineteenth when we're recording this, and we have we will have had our sixth scrim or I guess our third scrimmage day in a row that we're playing outside competition, and it will be outside. It won't be in a gym, uh, but we get five scrimmages. Uh, in the state of Oklahoma before you actually gear up and start playing. So uh, we try to do that. So we're going to be outside again today. Well, actually, they're outside playing right now. I, I hate to rub that in, Troy, but. No, I mean, it could be worse, right? Like, we didn't stop playing. <laughs> I'm in Florida. We didn't stop. <laughs> we fool ourselves into telling everyone else how lucky we are that we have four distinctive seasons. We get to, we get to experience four seasons and uh, – and we keep telling ourselves that's a wonderful thing. So maybe one day we believe it. But And so one of my coaches <laughs> likes to say, he likes to see people that aren't in the same color uniform, you know, to get out and play. And I guess, you know, even in the gym where you're, when you're trying to practice in those facilities, you make the most of those, obviously those facilities. And when I was growing up, we didn't have 
some of the advances that some of these facilities that people have now uh, that are indoor and that have all the cages and that they can take in infield, they can throw and, and still be okay. Um, but you're up against it, obviously, with Mother Nature up there in, in Minnesota, and Mother Nature is undefeated. Well, yeah. I, I really like hearing stories about how some of the teams up north, um, you know, what they do in order to make things happen, because I'm originally from New York, went to high school in New York, and I remember – you know, I played lacrosse, so I remembered my. I remember having to. Um, yeah, we'll we'll have. Sorry, I remember having to. I remember having to um, shovel the parking lot and the field, right? And the baseball team was doing the exact same thing. You're right. We're practicing. It is hard to play lacrosse in a gym because those balls come hard off that floor and the bleachers if you miss something. So, and baseball is really no different. So I, but I, I take my hats off to all the teams who compete and figure out how to compete against mother nature. Cause I think it's, it's a whole nother level of dedication that we don't have to worry about down here in the Southern States. That's for sure. Well, and for any of the, Southern state listeners, the largest snowballs I've ever made in my life have been on a baseball field uh, because they get really big when you have 10, 12 people pushing that mm -hmm. thing. And the only time I have ever lit something so large intentionally on fire was an infield where we actually, this is my high school days now, but put diesel fuel on, on the infield, on the dirt, uh, and lit it on fire just because we were that hopeful that we could dry that field out and play a game. Because in that case, we'd been practicing inside for a month Wait. or more. Uh, Wait. And we just wanted to get out and play. <laughs> Wait. The, this isn't this crazy Wait. story. This is what looked good. I know this isn't even the thing. story. This is the warm-up. <laughs> <laughs> you lit your field on fire. Lit the field on fire. Yep. Um, and this is when I was a, a high school player. And what happens is in this – unfortunately isn't too uncommon where we'll get outside in April and experience some nice weather after being indoor for a month or so. And then we'll get another big snowstorm and it'll drop, you know, six, eight inches of snow on us. You don't want to go back inside. And, and I'm, I do value the indoor time. I think I'm a better coach because we're forced to be inside and you need to really be well-structured and well-planned to run a good indoor practice. And so I think it makes me a better coach. But once you get the taste of being outside, you don't want to go back inside again. And so that's usually when you start getting the crazier stories of moving snow, plowing fields, snow plowing, uh, snow blowing, and in our case, starting a field on fire. See, we've done a couple things um, back in the day. We've had helicopters that have come and just kind of hovered over the field trying to dry it out. Uh, we have set the field on fire. I say the field, the infield, obviously, just trying to dry out the dirt. Um, but, um, I mean, the, the extremes that people go through just to be able to get games in, especially up in the north. So if you start in April and you said the wishful thinkers are the ones who who schedule games in April, when is the championship season or state tournament for you guys in Minnesota? You must have a better budget than me where you're at. If you've got <laughs> helicopters flying over your fields to dry them out. I'm still working on that budget. Um, our state tournament for baseball is the second week of June. And, and so playoffs would start third week of May. And then second week of June is when the, when the state tournament would happen. And so it, it's a 20-game season or a 20-game schedule. 
Uh, and so once you do get going, it's a lot of games in a short amount of time. And I like to say it's really more of a competitive schedule than it is a training schedule. And as you try to manage a pitching staff and arms and everything else, it happens pretty quick. Do you have pitch counts in Minnesota too? We do. Yep, we do have pitch counts. Yeah, I mean, that, that changes the game, obviously, for baseball, and that probably relies heavily on your indoor time when you're able to develop those arms in, in the in the inside, um, you know, and then when you go outside, Mother Nature's, I mean, it could be, it may not be snow every day, but it could be below freezing. Is there a certain temperature that you can't play in? I think that, that 32 is kind of a benchmark for many. That if it's a sunny day, how crazy is the sound? But it's true. If it's a sunny day and it's mid thirties, very playable. Uh, but if it's cloudy and windy mm-hmm. and you're getting near freezing, it's not fun. And that's when you get the stingers and your hands hurt. Uh, but you're you're absolutely right about the indoor part. That's part of it is you can really develop pitchers and start building up arm strength. So when you get outside, the arms are ready. Versus if you're outside right away, kids just want to go and start whipping it. And that's where sometimes they push it a little too soon, a little too early. But having the pitch count means you need to have more pitchers. You need to have more arms available and ready without question. When you think about it, even pitching inside when those days, and I say inside, inside the zone, whenever those days are cold, you're trying to saw off the hands because you know that's going to sting when they hit the ball. Um, and if they get it right off the handle, um, then you know that's going to, be painful for that batter so you pitch Mm -hmm. inside obviously intentionally not trying to hit anybody just trying to make them swing and hit with the just off the handle of the bat well and the effectiveness goes well beyond that at bat i mean you probably got an out on that at bat if you saw someone off but they don't want to swing at that pitch ever again i mean it's going to take them a long time until they start attacking that ball again if they um get a stinger when it's freezing and, and get that ball right off the handle i played baseball growing up and that is one of the things I very distinctly remember when it got cold and you hit the ball, like it just, it hurts so bad in your hands. It's just, I don't, I know, I remember exactly how it feels and I don't miss it at all. Mm-mm. Yeah. That's a, that's a feeling you don't forget for sure. <laughs> well, how in the world do you balance being the head baseball coach and the athletic director at the same time? I mean, we've had some people on here that have, have had multiple duties. One guy's a girls basketball coach the assigner for his basketball officials or every official for their league and um, an athletic director. So how do you manage being the AD and the head baseball coach? I think there's two parts to it. Uh, One is that it would be harder to do, it would be harder for me to coach in the fall and the winter than it would be in the spring. Uh, Spring is certainly busy. We have a lot going on in the spring still, but less that involves um, ticketed events. And so we have, fewer game workers and fewer ticketed events um, in the springtime than we would in the fall and the winter. So that makes me more available. And then second, I I get to work with some wonderful, awesome people. And those fantastic people help make it possible where I'm able to still coach in the spring. I'd also say it makes me a lot better AD. It, It keeps me in the trenches and it keeps me grounded to what it means to be a coach in 2024. I think sometimes in education, and this is a hazard we all face, I think sometimes we get philosophical about the the perfect world and what that looks like. And sometimes we forget what it looks like and feels like to still be in the classroom or to still be um, coaching and to still have, you know, we can make it sound nice, but um, but 
it allows me to stay closer to what it feels like to be coaching in 2024, coaching today's athlete, uh, working with today's parents, all the management and organizational responsibilities that goes with it. I know what it feels like. And so I think that's one of the biggest benefits. I love that it keeps me connected to student athletes, to kids. Uh, when I was a classroom teacher, I got to see, you know, 100 plus kids every day and, and form and build that relationship. Now we have 50 baseball players in the program where I really get to know them well um, and helps me relate better with today's student athlete, which I think makes me a better AD in the end. Now, baseball coaches historically have been really known for their antics, um, arguing a call, uh, getting behind on an umpire or chirping at an umpire. Is there ever a time where you just want to be like, man, I don't want to wear this AD hat. I want to be just the baseball coach and be able to chirp a little bit of at the home plate blue or they obviously missed a call. But then you got to go back and say, man, I'm I'm also an author of a transformational coaching book, and I'm also the athletic director. So how far can I really push this and still be an example for kids? Yeah, I think I'm um, a very Scandinavian. And, and so what you see is what you get. Uh, but I'm still very competitive. I'm still very competitive. And so get me in a competitive environment, um, and I want our team and kids to do as well as any other coach would want for their team. Uh, I think I've probably only embarrassed myself a couple of times. I, I think my track record probably, this would be my 23rd or 24th year as a head coach. I've done a number of dumb things along the way, and I'm sure I've got lots of athletes that could attest to some of the dumb things I've done along the way. But in terms of standing out, I, I'm thankful that it's probably only on a finger or two where I look back and just think, oh, what was I doing or what was I thinking? Um, and probably more when I was younger. And I think that's a pretty natural progression for a lot. And as I was saying before, just for me, coaching and going through that progression helps me to be a little more relatable with some of our coaches, especially new hires, earlier coaches, and help mentoring them and understanding as we do develop and transform into a mindset of, you know, I think a lot of early coaches, and hopefully I wasn't too bad on this, it's been a long time, but Early on, the coaching is about the coach and, you know, in some way, they're proving themselves. Uh, and then as we start to figure out what this is all about, it becomes about others. Uh, and I think I found that pretty early in my career. Uh, but early on, I'm, I'm sure I have. And that's probably one of the best things of coaching is the relationships you build with your athletes that last forever after. And I'm thankful for that. That's really one of the neatest parts of coaching is seeing those guys coming back, coming back. I'm sure those guys would have some fantastic stories too. Well, and you also know that there's a shortage of, of officials, no matter where you're at, whether and, and no matter the sport. So um, you got a different lens, obviously, to look through as as the athletic director trying to say, "Hey, I understand that games don't happen if we don't have officials. So if I lose my absolute mind on these guys, and you see it in the big leagues, and they can they can make a show of it, and it leads off Sports Center or whatever it may be, uh, but at our level." the purity still of the game is important. Uh, and just having those officials to be able to to have a game is important. And, and I don't think I have yet to meet, a, meet an official that was intentionally sabotaging any team, um, but they're human beings. And you got to understand that they're not going to make every call right. As much as that, that pains me to say, sometimes you want them to be perfect, but they're not going to be. And you just took my, I mean, really true. My talking points are they're human. And so they're going to make mistakes. Like, 
I make mistakes as a coach. Our athletes make mistakes all the time, and it's okay because we're all human. Um, our officials and our umpires, they're going to make mistakes because they're human. But like you said, I haven't met one yet that tried to or wanted to or intentionally did, purposely did. The other part is they are high school umpires and they're high school officials. Uh, and we get some really, really good ones. But, I mean, we got to remember what level we're at. We're not talking professional umpires. Um, and look so they're full-time job. Yeah, and, and you even see in Major League Baseball mistakes. A number of mistakes are made each day. Now, they're incredible in terms of their accuracy, how good they really are. But if you look at how many mistakes they actually make, it only makes sense. We're going to get more than that in the high school game. Right. I just went to a Savannah Bananas baseball game and the umps made mistakes. Crowd got to call them out on it. That may be, <laughs> that may be scripted there. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, they're probably distracted by it. Uh, well, it doesn't count. <laughs> it's like the Harlem Globetrotters of baseball is what that is. It was a good show, I'll tell you that. Yeah. They can do some impressive things. Some they, of the, they're phenomenal uh, athletes. Yeah, because not only can they dance really well or do a backflip, the next thing you know, they're throwing a 92-mile fastball. I mean, yeah. You know, honestly, one of my favorite things, though, was the um, home plate ump. He was amazing. He danced his way through that whole game and was just so comical, but also like very serious and took his job seriously. He he was awesome. I I very much was it, kudos to was that it guy. Frank Drebin, Frank Drebin from Naked Gun, if you remember that. That's one of my <laughs> yeah. favorite movie lines of all time. Was when when uh, Naked Gun and he's the umpire behind old plate and does a little dance for strike three. Now, Troy, here's my question. You see. And you've known you've known high school baseball and those kids for a long time, but seeing those guys do a backflip and catch the ball for some <laughs> of those kids that you have even now, it's hard for them to just play throw, let alone catch. I mean, you don't know where they're gonna where they're gonna throw it to, but you see these guys doing backflips and catching the ball. It's it's tremendous athleticism that those guys that those guys have. Yeah, the old adage that we're playing catch, not fetch, right? right. We're working on back to the fundamentals is getting the ball in the glove, let alone a backflip and then catching the ball. It's Yeah, they really are next little athletes. Yeah, that My high school baseball coach used to, to tell me that all the time. Smith, we're not playing throw, we're playing catch. So make sure you, you <laughs> both catch it and throw it to a guy that can catch it instead of just throwing it. So uh, anyway, it's just amazing. We could talk, I could talk baseball with you forever. That's That's my passion. I love that sport and played at the collegiate level. But that's not really why Danielle wanted you on here. Uh, she mm -hmm. wants to be able to talk stories, and that's what she yep. likes. And, and he's got a good one. She's got a precursor to what the story is. So, yep. uh, Troy, what we like to do at this point is Danielle loves to say, all right, let's talk the crazy stories, the stuff that can blow your mind. And and you've given her a sentence. And with this sentence, <laughs> she's got a lot of joy just out of this one <laughs> sentence. So let's just hear the story and let's digest yeah. it. It's joy for someone. <laughs> <laughs> well, the whole point of this is that we, uh, you know, 80s are going to be able to listen to this and if they find themselves in the same situation, um, which hopefully they won't on this one, but if they do, they're going to know how to correct it and they're going to be able to, you know, kind of learn from their mistakes. So, yeah, have at it. Go, go, go ahead. <laughs> Well, this one was a tough one to correct. And as I even tell the story, I get empathetic embarrassment. I mean, 
I'll, I'll turn red just remembering it right now. One of my duties um, as activities director for our conference is I'm the conference coordinator for cross country. And we were at the conference cross country race. So we have hundreds of racers. They've all done their walkthrough. They know the route. The route is marked. It's flagged. It's painted. Everything is set for the race. So we should be good to go. And then our rabbit doesn't show up. Um, so normally we'd have a mountain biker at the front who would lead the pack and go through and keep the appropriate distance between bike and, and lead runner just to make sure nothing goes wrong. Uh, so being the conference coordinator, rabbit doesn't show up. They say, hey, Roy, how about you take the cart and you be the rabbit? And, and so we have a cart there in case of a medical emergency. And so I figured out. I've been to the race a number, I mean, a number of times, a number of years. And so I, I know the course. I, I know the park. And so I hop in the cart, and it's the boys' race to start. And so off we go. I have an assistant coach next to me just in case, for whatever reason, to keep an eye on the runners behind. If there's anything I need to know. And we get to, um, it's like a double loop course. Um, and also like a snowman, if you can imagine, or a figure eight, almost like a figure eight. And we get to the first turn, and I'm supposed to go straight, and I turned. I took a turn, and I took the entire race down the wrong path. <laughs> the entire conference championship race is now running in the wrong order. And I can't, there's no fixing it. Like, I can't do a U-turn and go back and turn the other way. And runners would be running into each other. And, and so the lead runner is kind of like waving his hands like, no, no, no. And the coach next to me is poking me like, he says we're going the wrong way. And I bet I was ghost white at that moment. And so now I'm just kind of silently driving the wrong direction. Um, and I turn the corner to get to one of the, I think it was the two mile, um, the two mile check. And I got to the two mile check in like half the time, right? Cause I cut it in half. And so one of the coaches is looking down at a stopwatch. He looks up at me and I can just tell he's got, I mean, that's almost a look at the stain. It's not even confusion. And he looks down again and he looks back up at me. And I just said, did I take a wrong turn? And he gave me the most disappointed yes shake of the like nod of the head that I've ever had before. Like you just took a wrong turn, and you now have this cross country race going totally off path. Now, in the end, the coach next to me was able to call another coach, and thankfully he had a phone and he called, and we were able to determine if I continued doing what I was doing. Remember, I said I was like a figure eight or a snowman. But I went up the hill. And then on lap two, round two, if I didn't make the turn, and if I kept going all the way around, that we'd get the race back to near perfection in terms of distance. It might have been off just a touch, um, but I've never been so scared in my life that I absolutely destroyed the, the conference cross-country race. Like, it was probably about four or five minutes of the most or just, I mean, um, yeah, it, it, it took me a while to get my heart back to where it should be. Um, and, and the coolest part of it all, and, and kind of one of the takeaways, is that the grace I got from the runners 
and from the other coaches was really quite what quite incredible. Um, so it's a good story now, but right now I'm beat red, just <laughs> recounting it in my own mind. As I, I mean, really, our job as leaders is to lead people down the right path, and here I am leading hundreds of people down literally the wrong path. So that was probably the worst. 10, 15 minutes of my AD career right there. Well, I mean, the best part of it is, well, there's several best parts, and I'm, I'm going to have some questions that I, I want so to raise. I have so many questions. I have to. <laughs> so you go down the wrong path. Well, first of all, let's go back to them saying, hey, Troy, why don't you jump in the cart and be the rabbit? Was there any part of you that said, you know what, I probably shouldn't do that? Look, <laughs> This will only make it sound worse for me, Dustin. The course isn't that complicated. It's not that hard. Like, it's really not that tricky. Uh, there's, there's one turn, and I took it early. That's about what it is. Yeah. And it's yeah. not like you could throw it in reverse and say, all right, let's go back this way. There's no beeper on that cart. They all yeah. followed you, right? Even the kids who knew the course, they followed you. And that was remarkable too. And that, in in hindsight, was I mean, so lucky because happens not. We were just runners on two different courses at the same time, and that was like a legit fear: is that we were going to have runners on two different courses at the same time, and then like oddly converging for the final stretch. Um, Yeah, that lead runner decided. The lead runners, that little group, decided that they were going to take the left and go with me, and then everyone else did that. Yeah, a big game of uh, follow the leader. Uh, and they could have kept going straight. And and then, you know, who knows? The people behind might have taken the turn, uh, but they followed. Yep. Well, and just think about how trusting those kids are. Mm-hmm. Because here's the official rabbit, the person setting the pace, the showing us the path. Uh, there's so many life lessons in this, this whole little trained. scenario. <laughs> and these kids just followed willingly and trustingly saying, okay, mm-hmm. this is the way we're going. Even though they knew it was wrong, they were waving and trying to fix it, but they stayed on the path because that's the way that they were led to go. So uh, kudos to the kids for staying on the path and just trusting the process, as they say, um, but for them to to follow and just keep running, even though they knew it was wrong. Yeah, they were probably just like, all right, the adult in the cart, he's got to know what he's talking about. Like, you know, uh, here we go. You've already already said that, you know, in the beginning that you've worked with some amazing people. And I think this is the greatest, like, story of those amazing people because you called somebody and somebody figured out very quickly that it was okay to continue to do what you're doing and how to fix this and make this okay, right? So, I mean, that is... That is in itself very impressive because I can't, oh man, I'm putting myself in your shoes because I feel like, like our, our cross country course was off campus. So if I was asked to do what you were asked to do, I feel like I would have the possibility of doing the same thing, right? Because it's not an on campus, you know, facility that I had. So I, oh man, I don't even like thinking about it. Well, absolutely, you're absolutely right, Danielle, because one of the life lessons, you know, we like to think that through pressure and stress in sports and athletics, that we're able to more calmly process a difficult moment. And normally I'd say it's very true of me, of even in stressful moments, 
even in pressure packed moments, that I'm hopefully able to maintain a level head about me to make a rational, good decision. I was locked up on this one. Got <laughs> <laughs> me another level of oh my goodness. And it did take the calmer head to prevail. It took the other coach calling another coach who was able to think through and say and look at a map and say, all right, if you do this, we're going to be okay. Uh, I don't know if I was going to get there on my own. I was probably going to be driving laps all night long um, at, at the pace we were going. Well, and, and kudos to the coaches for not panicking. I mean, you said one who yeah. had some disdain and had some frustration and obviously was disappointed, but the other coaches to not just pile on and that other coach not in the cart, but say, hey, if you would follow this path, if you'll do this, they figured out the solution because things were going awry, but they still figured out a solution. You're able to finish the race, and um, now there's a story to tell about it. But kudos to that coach for figuring out the path and getting you back to the right way to make sure that they could finish the race and still not have. It may not have been the ideal path that they took, but it's still the path that they took to the finish line. And everyone ran the same route. And everyone, it was the, it was the same race for everyone. And even that coach, I, it was probably true surprise where I came around the corner. Because <laughs> watch, I thought, what in the, you know, yeah, it should be two three miles or four in minutes, four minutes before I see anyone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it was a race. They ran the same. They all ran the same distance, and they all ran the same route. And uh, how did uh, and, how did the girls race go? Did you do better? They ran the right course from the start. <laughs> that one was that, that one is corrected. I you know what? In my sleep I could now go and walk that course in the proper route. I would never make that mistake again. You talk about flashbulb memories. That what, mistake feared um, in me. how how deep was this into the race? Like was stopping it and starting over it an option or were we like we're committed, we're in enough that that wasn't a thing? I think we're about probably a mile in or a little more. Oh, yeah. so you couldn't know. Yeah. There was oh, no my God. We were committed to that <laughs> route. Whatever it was going to be, we were committed to it. <laughs> so if they did a GPS on it, because now they have all the timing systems and all that stuff where they can kind of track how they've run and what their, what their speed was and all that stuff. Uh, you think about that coach in the seat next to you that was like, Okay. <laughs> At any point, did he want to say, I just want to bail off this ride? This, this one, what I said. He said a GPS, probably an EKG would have been more appropriate. See <laughs> the AEB to the cart, the red. Yeah. <laughs> it's such an honest mistake, and it turned into a very public and oh, frantic in your head anyway, you know, type of what are we going to do here? And I just, I, my heart goes out to you because you're doing a good thing and, and you, you freeze up. Like, I understand exactly what you're saying. Like, uh, like what, what do I do? But I think we always talk about takeaways from stories and the takeaway that I get from your story is always confirm your rabbit is going to be there. That is that is the takeaway. And that the That's rabbit the knows the course. <laughs> <laughs> really good takeaways. Um, you know, I still have a note on my desk, and I, I grabbed it right here. So this was a number of years ago now that this happened. Uh, one of the greatest takeaways for me is how awesome kids are, how fantastic kids are, um, and how wonderful their perspective is. And sometimes maybe we take things, including ourselves, a little too seriously. 
the next day, so obviously the athletes knew it was a traumatic moment for me and that I kind of beat myself up about it. I was happy that we got the race back to its appropriate distance or close to it. The next day, one of my, um, one of my bad habits, I'm, I'm, I'm better. I don't have as many Mountain Dews now as I used to have, but, uh, but I'm a, I'm a sucker for a Mountain Dew. And the next day I came into my office midday and I had a cold 20 ounce Mountain Dew sitting on my desk with a post-it note that says, you did a great job at the meet, signed Marcus. And so I, I still have it right here, right now. It's just kind of a constant reminder of how awesome kids are and that they really do get it and how wonderful their perspective is. That is, yeah. no, that is such a nice, simple thing that that kid did that you have years later, right? Like lasting impact. Yep. And again, I don't have the cleanest office, but that post-it, it's got a spot right over there. And I imagine um, one day when I'm packing up my boxes to, to leave this place, that that note will be coming with me for sure. And and do you remember Marcus the person? I mean, like it, all these years later, do you have contact with Marcus? Just to uh, did you pass along to him just how big that note was to you? Yeah, and you know what? It might have been a year or two later when I um, reminded him of the moment. I don't think he even remembered it when I reminded him of it. I don't even think he remembered it. Um, but how significant it was to me. Family lives just a block or two away from school and so still see a number of them. He actually became um, a summer custodian for us. One of my one of my hats is facilities. And so he actually became a summer worker for us. One of you wouldn't be surprised he'd be one of our best. Um, wonderful family and a wonderful person. He's not a kid anymore. Wonderful young man. I mean just think of think of all the the positives now that come from that situation. I mean you think about resilience of kids you think about just how how cool kids really are um and and really how simple they are because they were trusting said hey this happens but then they were forgiving to say hey we went the wrong way we still finished the race everybody as you said earlier everybody ran the same race um it may not have looked the same as they had walked the night before the day before whatever it was but they still finished the race and everybody got to finish and there was there's a story that comes from it but kids and even coaches showing grace in moments when you need it um is probably more powerful than than about anything else that we can imagine as as administrators and leaders yeah and an important lesson for us as adults like it, it all turned out great and from the kid perspective no big deal so is your grace giving um has it increased since that moment since you you've experienced some when great people gave you grace and they understood that and then now was that perspective passed on to you where you're like okay i need to be a little more understanding in situations yeah the fundamental attribution error right um for sure and i think we all need reminders from time to time and that's really important for all of us is to give ourselves that reminder that like we're talking with umpires Everyone makes mistakes. Everyone is human. And the conversation would look and be a little different if someone was trying to make that mistake. I, I think that's the difference for me. If someone's trying to make mistakes. Well, that's a different conversation. Uh, but in this case, honest mistakes. I mean, that's what we're really about in high school athletics is 
we're about allowing and forgiving mistake making. Uh, and that's where the magic happens because we're trying to push ourselves and others to new levels and new heights. Well, you don't get there without making mistakes along the way, especially if you talk about the very literal aspect of physical training. You're pushing yourself to failure in order to acquire and learn and master a new skill. Have you since been the rabbit for any other races? I retired after that meet. That's a smart move. (laughs) Retired after that meet. And uh, at the free race meeting, it's very clear that anyone else is invited to drive the cart if the mountain biker doesn't show. But thankfully, that has not been an issue. Um, But I'm, I'm happily retired from being the rabbit. That's one hat you could decided you were taking off and weren't going to put back on. <laughs> that's that how you get out of being. That's how you get out of being asked to do extra duties, right? Who's <laughs> never been asked to be a rabbit again? <laughs> Maybe that's the the key for all the ads listening now. Is we're too good at the jobs we do, and we keep getting more and more added to the plate. Mm-hmm. We just mess up really bad sometimes. Take a wrong turn. Take yeah. a wrong turn once in a while. <laughs> yep. Stop asking for a bit. But yep. even that story, you can say, hey, everybody ran the same race. And it was close, if not the exact distance it was supposed to be. It just didn't look like everybody thought it was going to look. That old route was getting boring and stale anyway. Right. <laughs> Spice it up. You want to talk about flexibility? Yeah. Yep. There we go. We, I've been country. I've had cross country for a reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was at the collegiate level. And we had a we had a cross country meet, and and it was the conference meet, and we had to have a rabbit for the lead runner, and then a rabbit for everybody else because she was so far ahead of everybody else. So she couldn't, everybody else couldn't have followed where the rabbit was leading because she was so far away from everybody else. Ended up being an All-American at the collegiate level, um, was was a phenomenal runner. Um, but I, you don't, maybe the rabbit is something you take for granted. You know, that somebody's just going to be out there leading the pack. Uh, and unless it's Troy Erdahl, maybe it's going to go the right direction. Troy definitely <laughs> takes that rabbit for granted, but not anymore. Yep. <laughs> the takeaways keep on coming. Don't take the rabbit for granted. Yep. Appreciate your rabbit. Man, you have been such a good sport because I think that this is a valuable story for ADs to hear, whether they make this exact same mistake as a rabbit or they just make a different mistake with a different sport. I think it's a really valuable story, but you also have been amazing at letting us laugh at this because this is, this is comical as an, as you know, 80 brains sit there and think of this. You, I I immediately like tense up even thinking about it. So thank you for being such a good sport where we can, you know, laugh with you and also figure out how to take some takeaways from it. Because there is a great metaphor to it, right? And all of us probably know this feeling along the way. And I mentioned earlier, as leaders, we try to get people to go the right way. But every now and then, we'll pull people accidentally, you know, good intentions. But we might pull people the wrong direction. And there's really an important end to it of owning it, of just kind of taking responsibility, owning it. And in some cases, like even... I'm sorry. I, I, I messed up here um, in, in taking responsibility for that. I think that's where authenticity and vulnerability uh, mm-hmm. show what type of a leader you are, even if you made a mistake. Let me oh, ask this. Was this race prior to the pandemic? It was. 
Yeah. Okay. It was, just, it was actually so, just before the pandemic. And and I think about how parents have gone to the far end of the extreme in some of these scenarios. Mm-hmm. So I remember when COVID happened um, and we got back to play and parents for a brief amount of time, we're so thankful that we were just playing. Whatever it takes to play, we're just so <laughs> excited that Johnny's playing again and um, we'll do whatever you tell us to do. And now here, four short years later, it's uh, they've got an opinion on everything and this coach is awful or this AD made the wrong decision, uh, yada, yada, yada. And just think about that the backlash that could have happened from parents even at that moment. And you may have heard some of it, um, but and part of it's owning it and just wearing it, you know, especially when you mess up. But the vocal group of parents now that may have may have surfaced if that would have happened in 2024. I don't even want to think about that. Yep. And, you know, I've gotten better as time has gone on of I'm going to show up every day and do what's right and do my best. And if I'm always doing what I believe is best and what is right and with my best intentions, I'm more ready and able and equipped to have that conversation with that grumpy, angry person. Just to say, and back to the human conversation, look, I'm trying my best. I'm sorry if I didn't live up to your expectations here, but you got to know I'm trying my best. Um, And and sometimes it's hard to get to that level with, with who's upset. Well, and I also think, too, like, the whole, you highlighting this whole story is that ADs are sometimes asked to do things at events that are outside of their comfort zone. Maybe that's not the sport they're most comfortable with. Maybe that's the sport they know the least about or the most about, right? Like, and I think you're just asked to do these things and acquire these new skills all the time. And that is something that I can see ADs, um, you know, why your story is so powerful because it doesn't have to be the little literal rabbit, right? It could be anything where you're asked to be in a situation and you made a mistake and you're like, well, <laughs> yours was just very yep. time sensitive. <laughs> very public. Very, very, <laughs> very sensitive. <laughs> so let me ask you this, Troy, going back to your book title, did you ever think of calling it Chasing the Rabbit? <laughs> Bad idea. I'm sorry for Dustin. I apologize. I, I, share, um, I, I mentioned before sharing stories from my own life. I share a version of that story in the book. I mean, it's seared within me. And so I do use it. And I use it in a section talking about making mistakes and failure and how significant and important it is. But I didn't know that chasing the rabbit would really have the same effect that chasing influence. Right. So it was on it was on the um, on the drawing board, but it, uh, but that one got uh, well. I, I mean, you even think about it. You being the rabbit, and just those those runners chasing you, um, chasing the finish line. All I mean, there's so many parallels to the book. There's so many parallels to life. Um, so, uh, like Danielle said, man, I I appreciate you getting on here and and sharing a story that um, was painful for you at the moment, but lessons that came out of that um, mm-hmm. and. and and I believe you said the kid's name is Marcus. Um, I mean, what a what a powerful testimony just from that kid to be able to say you did an outstanding job and how that meant to you. And think about that from our, our spots as ADs, the influence that we can have and the power that just a sticky note could have in the life of a kid or life of a person uh, moving forward, uh, even if they mess up. 
Um, and, and we try to encourage people to fail forward uh, and don't fail and don't get back up, but keep on going. And so the life lessons that could come from that. So I, I appreciate you taking the time to jump on here. Uh, your willingness to do so when we talk back in December uh, and then the gift that you've given me in the, in the book and the opportunity I've had to read that. Thank you for your contribution to, to our sport, being baseball, to uh, our profession, being athletic directors, um, and also just impacting people. I appreciate what you've done for us, Troy. I appreciate the kind words and opportunity to connect with you. I, I should probably be thanking you, though, for the free therapy session. This is, uh, <laughs> this, this is good for me. Thank you. <laughs> no, I, I, I really do. This was awesome. And man, I needed that good laugh. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was just with how graceful you were even explaining it. I just uh I my heart goes out to you and back in a couple of years ago. But thank you so much for sharing the story. I really do think it will um be beneficial for 80s everywhere, either in a day they need to laugh or when they, you know, make a similar mistake. So thank you so much for being on here today and you know sharing with us. This has been fun. Thank you. That wraps up this episode. Thank you for listening, and thank you to our sponsor, Wall of Fame, who excels at telling your school stories and supports us in telling ours. Check out the description of this episode for a link to receive a discount on all Wall of Fame products. We are looking forward to the next story and hope you are too.